0: This is an Our Savior Evangelical Free Church podcast. To learn more, visit osefc.org. Well, for this morning, we are going to continue in Romans 8. We're calling this the best chapter in the Bible. And it just very well may be that. If you ever wanted to memorize a chapter of the Bible, this would be a great one to do. You know, it... uh, This chapter, Romans 8, starts out by saying, There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And what that means, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, is that because of the work of God in sending his son, Jesus Christ, he died for all sinners who would repent and call upon his name, and every person That word condemnation means every person who is condemned by their sin to be separated from God may be reunited with him, may be free of the burden of sin, may be free from the punishment of sin when we place our faith in Jesus. And that's where this chapter starts. That's the first thing this chapter says. And I I actually think it almost gets better from there. The next thing that Romans 8 says is there is a way to spend your life That leads to death and there is a way to use your life and spend your life that leads to true living the way to life is not by chasing after the temporary things of this world but having your desires and your ambitions and what you are looking to for fulfillment shaped and transformed by God and the way that that transformation takes place The way the Apostle Paul who wrote this letter says it is the way that you put the flesh to death and live is by concentrating, focusing on God's spirit. And God promises that the Holy Spirit lives inside of every person who trusts in the name of Jesus. That's just the first part of Romans 8 and there is still more. I I feel like this chapter, the more we study it, the more we read it together, I feel like this chapter is a little bit like climbing a mountain. And all the rewards there are in climbing a mountain. I lived in Colorado for eight years. And during that time, I've summited five or six what are called 14ers. There are over 50 mountains in Colorado with summits over 14,000 feet above sea level. And that may sound like a lot to say there are 50 of them. But Colorado is a very big state. And so there's a few of them that are close together. But most of them are very spread out. In order to summit a 14er, you usually have to get up pretty early in the morning. You have to uh, begin hiking far from the peak. And what usually happens is you'll, as you go up, the view gets better and better and better. And so you'll walk a little while along the trail and then you'll look around and you've, as you've gone higher, you can see farther away. And sometimes you'll come over a ridge and there'll be a great view that you hadn't been able to see. And you'll say, surely it can't get any better than this. But then you look up, and there's still higher to go, and there's still more to see. When you stand on top of a 14er, you can see hundreds of miles in any direction. And I think that's a little bit like what it is like to read this chapter. It starts out, there's therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ. It goes on to say, there's a way to, to have a more abundant life than you'd ever thought possible, both in the life to come and in this one. And then there is uh, more and more and more. There's a better view, and so let's keep climbing. That's what we're doing this morning, is to keep climbing in Romans 8 to see our view of God and his grace expand, that we can see more of him and more of his grace and more of his goodness. The section of Romans that we just came out of, Romans 8 that we just came out of, has been talking about God redeeming everything that he created. All the things you see around you and your very body. If you are looking for more reasons to worship God and not to focus on the things of this world, Romans 8 gives you those reasons. Romans 8 will teach you and tell you why God is worthy of worship. There's nothing in the world now that God can't redeem. He doesn't just make things better. He redeems them, and there's a difference in those words. Make sure you understand the difference. My body would be better if it were 15 years younger and 25 pounds lighter. But it wouldn't be Redeemed, It would still get sick, and it would still break down, and it would still have problems. Redeemed bodies aren't just better bodies. They're perfect bodies. Redeemed creation isn't just better creation. It's perfect creation. So not just better, God promises, but perfect. And so me, to me, hearing that... It feels like we've, maybe we've reached the summit. Maybe that's, is that as good as it gets, that God will redeem everything that there is, including bodies. Well, actually in Romans eight, there's still more. We still have more view to overcome or to, to, to come up and see. So that's what we get. We get more in verses 26 and 27. So if you've got your device, if you brought a Bible with you, Let's go to Romans 8, 26, and 27. And listen as I read these words. Likewise. That's why I think there's more here. Likewise. All, because of all that's been saying, there's still more. Let me, let me add to this. Uh, kind of like you've been seeing, likewise, in addition, keep going, there's more. The Spirit helps us in our Weakness. For we do not know what to pray for as we ought, but the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groanings too deep for words. And he who searches hearts knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. Would you just join me in a word of prayer? I want to pray that God would help us as we study these great words. God, I thank you for my friends here in the parking lot. For this beautiful day that we can gather together, encourage one another, sing to your name, and hear the preaching of the word. I thank you for this church. I pray that we would know, find hope, freedom, joy in these words. That even when we don't know what to say, when we're not sure what's going on, you promise to search our hearts and draw out what it is that will connect us to you. Help us now, we pray. Thank you that those of the people worshiping online can be joining us as well. Pray that every person that can hear my voice would know the sweet ministry of the Holy Spirit, first through salvation and then through help in time of need. It's in the name of Jesus Christ, we pray. Amen. So keeping your eyes there on Romans 8... Look at that first statement. It kind of summarizes what God gives us here. The Spirit helps us in our weakness. So it's not just promises one day in the, in the hope of what God will do for us in the future, but God helps us right now. The word help there means to, to come alongside and bear burdens. And God does come alongside of us, and God does help us to bear our burdens, and he does it because of our weakness. Let me just talk for a minute about what Paul means when he says weakness. Most of us don't like to admit we have weakness, especially the men. We like to think we could conquer the world, leap over buildings, fix anything around the house, and just grill that perfect medium steak. But here's the deal, folks. Let me just let you in on a little secret. When it comes to admitting weakness, we think that we don't have many, but we are the only ones around us who think that about ourselves. This doesn't just apply to the married folks, but especially the married folks. Your spouse is pretty clear that you have weaknesses. Your children and your parents and your friends are clear that you have weaknesses. If you can't admit that you have weaknesses, you can't be a Christian. When it comes to weaknesses, I just want to say that again because it's so important. If you can't admit that you have weaknesses, you can't be a Christian. 1 John 1.8 says that if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Romans 3.23 says that everyone sins and falls short of the glory of God. You're not exempt from that. We must be able to admit that we have weaknesses or we can have no part of the saving work of Jesus. We're not saved because of our strength. We're not saved because of our beauty. We're not saved because of our ability and what we can bring to the table in ministry. We are saved out of our weakness because God loves us in spite of our weaknesses. And staying in the place of declaring weakness is not only necessary to be saved, it is the way that we continue in the Christian life. We don't become saved and then think we are strong and grow in our strength. We continue to grow in Christ by more and more recognizing, confessing, admitting, and asking God to meet us in our weaknesses. Weakness is the key to salvation and sanctification. You must be able to admit you're weak or you can have no part with Christ. The Apostle Paul had every reason to be proud. He missionary, church planter, preacher, apostle personally called and witnessed to by Jesus. Yet he was so sure that God wanted him to remain humble that he saw his weakness not only as something that was just part of him, but that was actually a gift from God. In 2 Corinthians, he wrote that it's precisely because he knows he's weak that God could use him. And so, this is good news. That God helps us in our weakness. It's not not bad news that we're frail, but God's going to make up for that. It's good news that we're weak so that God will meet us there because that's what he does. We are weak, but God loves to meet people who are weak. In fact, God exclusively meets people who are weak. So the next question we need to ask is, I know that it's good that I'm weak, if you can admit that. But what if I'm too weak? Is it possible to be too weak? Will my weakness mess up my relationship with God? What if I'm so broken that I don't even know what to do? What if I'm so weak that I don't even know how to relate to God? What if I don't know how to talk to Him? What if I don't know how to pray? And the next part of this answers that. Even when we don't know what to do. Even when we don't know how to pray, God meets us in that place. It says that God himself intercedes for us. This is where it's wonderful that God, being, or that God is one being in three persons. The Trinity is, is a divine mystery. But, it's me, but it means it's possible for God to come and help us talk to him all at the same time. James 1.5 says that when we don't know what to do, we should ask God and he will give wisdom and guidance generously. Have you ever been in a place where you feel so at a loss, so broken, so hurt, So scared, so unsure, so sad, so confused, that you just didn't even know where to start. You wanted to talk to God. You even tried to open your mouth. But there just was no words. Maybe you started babbling. Maybe You just started spilling yourself out to God. But nothing seemed right. You couldn't gather your thoughts. You weren't even sure what you wanted to say. Have you ever been in a place like that? If you've ever been someplace like that, these verses tell you that you weren't the only one there. That you weren't alone in that. That God was there with you. And the beautiful promise of these verses is that even though you might have felt like you had nothing to say, like the words just never seemed to be right, God was able to translate that into something that, could, that he could not only understand, but he delighted in and he was glad that you brought it to him. This deepens our understanding of prayer. Prayer is talking to God. But it's also not knowing what to say and trusting that he's going to understand you anyways. Have you ever been with someone and it was hard? They were going through something and you were there and there was nothing you could really say. And so you did what a lot of us do. You, You tried to say something, but it came out wrong. You felt kind of awkward saying it because it just seemed like you weren't making sense. You weren't making anything better but then you stop talking and and the person that you're trying to help thanks you anyway thanks you for being there and and says how great it was about all the nice things you've said god god is so gracious to us in this way he's been so gracious to me as a, a pastor I've, I've been in a lot of tough rooms through my years as a pastor, I'm often called into situations where there is suffering and grief and agony and tears. And I just want to tell you how, God, how gracious God is to me in that time. I've, I've had a, just a little bit of training <laughs> In what to say. But, but let me tell you this every situation is so unique. Every person is different. No amount of training can prepare you to walk into rooms where people are suffering and always know the right thing to say. There just isn't a recipe for that. There isn't a guidebook. There's not a manual. It doesn't exist. And so you can't really train for that. All you can do is say a quick prayer and ask God to do something through His Spirit. I just, I just have to tell you in praise of God how often he so graciously answered that prayer for me. I go into a room where there's just, where there's just severe agony and people are so sad. They're in need of encouragement and hope from God. And, and I'll feel so ill-equipped to be there. I've been going to these rooms for over 15 years now. And I still walk in praying. I mean, I do it all the time done it for many years, and I I just walk in and say, Lord, if there's anything helpful that's going to happen, that's going to have to come from you, because I'm not going to be much help here. I I just don't know what I should say right now. And because I want to love people and I want to serve people, I'll I'll try to say something and and I'll fumble through my words, and the whole time I'll be thinking to myself, man, this is not even making sense, much less being helpful. I don't even know that this is coherent, what I'm saying right now. So I'll read the Bible, and, and I'll talk, and I'll pray for a few minutes. Feeling like, Why, did I just even make everything worse? But because God's good, because his spirit is at work, somebody will say they were just thinking the same thing. Or the verse that I just read is the verse that they had just read that morning. Or what I prayed was just what they had been praying. Folks, that's because... God's spirit is at work. It's not because I have some great technique where I always know what to say. It's because God's spirit knows when things are too heavy for us and God begins interceding for us. People will thank me for for what I've said and I'm just quick to give glory to God because most of the time I'm thinking "I I wasn't even planning on saying that. I don't even know where that came from but God was gracious enough to use it. That's God's spirit at work. That's Romans 8.26 coming to life. And so this should move our understanding of prayer beyond the few minutes where we sit down to list all the things that we want God to do for our friends and family. This is a relationship that's so intimate and so connected. It's not really clear where you stop and where the Holy Spirit starts when God begins to intercede in this way for you. And we know it's God doing it because in verse 27, it says that it's God who is able to search our hearts and find what it is that we really want to say to him. Even when we can't find the words, even when we're too broken hearted, even when we're too scared, God can look through that and past it and and wade through all that emotions and wade through all the fear, all the uncertainty. And he can bring out what we really want to say. And he knows how we really feel about him. And that's a sweet and beautiful promise. Cause if you haven't been in that place before, you will be at some point where you just don't know what to say. And all you're going to have, all you're going to have is to say, God, God, you have to know my heart. You have to look in my heart because I, I, I don't, I don't have words right now. I'm so unsure. I'm so scared. I'm so broken hearted. I'm so sad. I just need you to search my heart and know what it is that I want to communicate. One of the things that Romans 8 has been helping us to see more clearly with each passing section is what true spirituality is. Paul says that a true, truly spiritual person, a reborn and redeemed person, will be one who wants to put to death the things of the flesh and embrace the things of the Spirit. In these two verses, a spiritual person is someone who depends wholeheartedly on the inward work of the Spirit of God searching the heart. And at times, the Holy Spirit is going to have to intercede for us because we're going to be at a loss. And so true spirituality isn't knowing what to say all the time. True spirituality isn't the one who prays eloquently The truly supernatural person is not the one who makes a big outward show of their prayer, in fact. It's the one who simply says, God, I don't have the words. Would you search my heart and know them? This lesson about true spirituality might actually seem counterintuitive. It might seem weird to say, well, isn't the person who kind of knows what to say and knows what to pray. Aren't they the spiritual one? Jesus would say, not necessarily. Truly spiritual people readily admit that they don't have all the answers and that they don't always know the right things to say, both to somebody else, but also to God. Jesus warned his followers not to be impressed by someone who always knows what to say or that's always talking. He warned people, just because somebody seems great at praying doesn't mean they're somebody that you should listen to. In Matthew 6, Jesus said, "And when you pray, you must not be like the hypocrites, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues and at the street corners, but they may not but that, that they may be seen by others. Truly I say to you, they have received their reward. But when you pray, Go into your room and shut the door and pray to your father who is in secret. And your father who sees in secret will reward you. Now this doesn't mean we shouldn't pray out loud. Or that organizing our prayer life with some specific topics or having a specific time of prayer is wrong. It's not. In fact, failing to have a specific time of prayer might mean spiritual laziness. It might mean spiritual immaturity it might be because we don't have a strong belief and reliance on the power of prayer and the purpose of it and the gift that it is but that also doesn't mean that someone who can pray very eloquently has any kind of true spirituality jesus said when it's when, when an eloquent prayer is not genuine the person who's prayed it has received the reward what he means by that is they have found what they are looking for They found the admiration of other people. Jesus is saying there will be some who will pray. There will be some who will speak things of God. And all they really want is for other people to think highly of them. We don't pray to impress the people around us. We pray to connect with God and to align our hearts with his. And so if the Holy Spirit is the one who's really doing that work, then it doesn't matter. If you're eloquent, it doesn't matter if your words are simple. It doesn't matter if you're not known as the best public prayer. Don't worry about those things. God will take care of that. But according to Jesus, if you're not praying when no one else is looking. That's when you have cause for concern. If your prayers are different when you're alone than when they're in front of other people and you save the really good stuff from when other people are around, you're not praying to God. You're not trying to connect with him. You're trying to impress other people. If you're only praying eloquently when other people are around, you're not trying to express yourself to God. You're trying to impress someone else. So let me give you two takeaways from these verses. Two things to take home together. First, we shouldn't expect that our prayer lives will always take place on our terms. Sometimes we're going to sit down in our favorite chair at our favorite time, and God will listen. Other times, something is going to come at us fast, and you're not going to know what hit you. And before we think that God has abandoned us, us and we're alone when things come fast, and we don't know what's happening, remember that he hasn't called out to him. Even if you don't know what to say, he'll be there for you. He'll search your heart and he will pull out what you are really trying to say. And that also means that sometimes we're going to lead the conversation with God in prayer. But other times God needs to lead. If you're going to have a true spiritual time to connect with God, sometimes you can't be the one to talk. Can I just humbly lay this before you? If your prayer life consists of, of a pattern where you spend five or 10 or 15 minutes giving God your list for the day without allowing him any time to talk or asking him how he would respond, you need to keep digging for something more. You're not hitting on all cylinders in your prayer life. There's nothing wrong with bringing your heart to God. There's nothing wrong with saying, God, I I hope you work in this way. But you have to do that hoping and anticipating that he is going to search it out and make your prayers more than you intend them to be. So you have to be open to him answering them in ways that you don't expect. Otherwise, your prayer isn't for him. It's for you. And that's going to mean that sometimes our prayer life needs to get uncomfortable because he may call you to lay something down to give something up or to step out in faith. You need to let him lead sometimes or you will remain a simple Christian. And I don't mean simple Christian in a good way. A few ways to let God lead are doing things like learning to sit quietly with him. Learning to sit quietly is a skill that does not come naturally to most of us. Our minds wander and there's a lot to be distracted by. Meditating on the presence of the Spirit and the Word of God takes practice. So if you want to know where to start, how do I learn to meditate on God and His Word, here are just a couple of small things. First, read a few verses, maybe a psalm, and then ask God to teach you about it. And then just try to sit there just for a couple of minutes... And listen to what he might say. Do your best to stay in the moment. And then go on to the next few verses. Try to lengthen out that time. Start with just a minute. One minute of just trying to to keep your mind clear of distraction. And focus on him. Another way to grow is to ask God questions. And then wait a bit for him to answer. This works best when there's as little happening around us as possible. Sometimes a journal or a notebook, just write a question and then ask God to answer that. Maybe write down what you feel like him saying so you can process it later. Ask him to answer you and meet you in your word. So that's the first thing. Sometimes God needs to lead the conversation. Our prayer life can't just be a list of things we want him to do. Second, thing number two, don't worry about not being good at praying. Applies to private prayer and to prayer with other people if you don't know what to pray for and you don't know how to pray I promise you won't get any better by avoiding praying you don't get stronger by not lifting weights you don't get faster by not running and you don't deepen your prayer life by avoiding it I have two daughters my older daughter can engage in conversation for a lot longer than my younger daughter But my older daughter couldn't always do that. She had to learn that. And my younger daughter is learning that a little bit more all the time. You have to learn to have a conversation with God. Just like we have to learn to have a conversation with other people. If you're nervous about coming to God, don't be. He wants you to come. He likes to be with you so much that he saved you and puts his spirit inside of you. He wants to be with you. And so, even when you're struggling to express it, He will help you. Have you, have you pictured that? That even when you're struggling, even when you're unsure, even when you don't know what to say, that's how much God wants to be with you. That even when you're having trouble expressing yourself, God says, It's okay. I know you. I care to know you better than you know yourself. And I know what you're trying to say, so don't worry about it. I'm just glad you're trying it all. That's what God's saying. Go back to my daughters for, for a minute. I, I have a, my youngest daughter just turned three. And she's really articulate for a three-year-old. But she's still three. So she tries to tell us things all the time, and we have no idea what she's saying. We were in the car a few days ago, and she didn't know a word. So we're all guessing at what it is that she meant. And when we finally guessed it, she was so thrilled. Uh, And so were the rest of us that we could all communicate together because we want to know what she has to say. And and that's how God is with us. Even when we don't know the right words, he draws them out of us because he really, really does care to know. He really does want to know. So draw near to him this week because he longs to draw near to you. If you're a Christian, go to him in prayer and call out to him in weakness. If you're not a Christian, confess your weakness to him. Stop trying to be strong. Ask him to save you. He will save you if you ask him in in weakness. And then he will show you how much he loves you He will open up a a, a new way of living to you. This is really incredible. It's really an amazing promise. Even when we don't know what will happen next, we can be sure that he will be there with us. And even when we don't, not sure, how will I react? What will I say? We can be sure that he will search our hearts and find it. And he will know us. That's how much he loves us. That's how much he loves us that he would care to listen to us and say, even though you don't know what to say, don't worry. I'll come and I'll find out. So pray to him. Go to him. Run to him. Let's pray together. God, may you be praised. May your name be known as holy. And God, I thank you that you search hearts and know even our deepest longings. I pray that this group our Savior, who's gathered together today. I call out to you. Let's sit quietly and listen. And we just don't know what to say. You would ensure us and encourage us that you're meeting us there. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Our Savior Evangelical Free Church is a congregation located in Wheeling, Illinois. Our vision can be summed up in four words. Building community, bringing Christ. To learn more about what these words mean, visit our website at osefc.org.